Section 3 of A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 5. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 5, by François Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter 35. Henry IV, Protestant King, 1589-1593, to Part 3. History is not bound to be so reserved and so modest as the king was about himself. It was not only as able captain and valiant soldier that Henry the Fourth distinguished himself at Ivry. There the man was as conspicuous for the strength of his better feelings, as generous and affectionate as the king was far-sighted and bold. When the word was given to march from Dreux, Count Schomberg, colonel of the German auxiliaries called Reiters, had asked for the pay of his troops, letting it be understood that they would not fight if their claims were not satisfied. Henry had replied harshly, quote, people don't ask for money on the eve of a battle. At Ivry, just as the battle was on the point of beginning, he went up to Schomberg. Colonel, said he, I hurt your feelings. This may be the last day of my life. I can't bear to take away the honor of a brave and honest gentleman like you. Pray forgive me and embrace me. Quote. Quote, Sir, answered Schomberg, the other day your majesty wounded me. Today you kill me. End quote. He gave up the command of the writers in order to fight in the king's own squadron, and was killed in action. As he passed along the front of his own squadron, Henry halted, and, quote, Comrades, said he, if you run my risks, I also run yours. I will conquer or die with you. Keep your ranks well, I beg. If the heat of battle disperse you for a while, rally as soon as you can under those three pear-trees you see up yonder to my right and if you lose your standards do not lose sight of my white plume you will always find it in the path of honour and i hope a victory too End quote. having galloped along the whole line of his army he halted again threw his horse's reins over his arm and clasped his hands exclaiming quote, o god thou knowest my thoughts and thou dost see to the very bottom of my heart if it be for my people's good that i keep the crown favour thou my cause and uphold my arms but if thy holy will have otherwise ordained at least let me die o god in the midst of these brave soldiers who give their lives for me when the battle was over and won he heard that rosny had been severely wounded in it and when he was removed to rosny castle the king going close up to his stretcher said quote, my friend i am very glad to see you with a much better countenance than i expected i should feel still greater joy if you assure me that you run no risk of your life or of being disabled for ever the rumour was that you had two horses killed under you that you had been borne to earth rolled over and trampled upon by the horses of several squadrons bruised and cut up by so many blows that it would be a marvel if you escaped or if at the very least you were not mutilated for life in some limb i should like to hug you with both arms I shall never have any good fortune or increase of greatness, but you shall share it. Fearing that too much talking may be harmful to your wounds, I am off again to Mantes. Adieu, my friend. Fare you well, and be assured that you have a good master. Henry the Fourth had not only a warm but an expansive heart. He could not help expressing and pouring forth his feelings. That was one of his charms, and also one of his sources of power. The victory of Ivry had a great effect in France and in Europe, but not immediately and as regarded the actual campaign of 1590. 
the victorious king moved on paris and made himself master of the little towns in the neighborhood with a view of investing the capital when he took possession of st denis on the ninth of july fifteen ninety he had the relics and all the jewelry of the church shown to him when he saw the royal crown from which the principal stones had been detached he asked what had become of them he was told that m de mayenne had caused them to be removed Quote, he has the stones then said the king and i have the soil End quote. he visited the royal tombs and when he was shown that of catherine de medici quote, ah said he smiling how well it suits her End quote. and as he stood before henry the thirds he said quote, ventre saint gris there is my good brother i desire that i be laid beside him End quote. as he thus went on visiting and establishing all his posts around paris the investment became more strict it was kept up for more than three months from the end of may to the beginning of september fifteen ninety and the city was reduced to a severe state of famine which would have been still more severe if henry the fourth had not several times over permitted the entry of some convoys of provisions and the exit of the old men the women the children in fact the poorest and weakest part of the population Quote, paris must not be a cemetery he said i do not wish to reign over the dead Quote, a true king, says de Thou, more anxious for the preservation of his kingdom than greedy of conquest, and making no distinction between his own interests and the interests of his people. Two famous Protestants, Ambrose Parr and Bernard Palissy, preserved, one by his surgical and the other by his artistic genius, from the popular fury, were still living at that time in Paris, both eighty years of age, and both pleading for the liberty of their creed and for peace. Quote, Monseigneur, said Ambrose Parr one day to the Archbishop of Lyons, whom he met at one end of the bridge of St. Michael, this poor people that you see here around you is dying of sheer hunger-madness, and demands your compassion. For God's sake show them some, as you would have God's shown to you. Think a little on the office to which God hath called you. Give us peace, or give us wherewithal to live, for the poor folks can hold out no more. End quote. The Italian Danigarola himself, Bishop of Asti, and attaché to the embassy of Cardinal Gaetani, having publicly said that peace was necessary, was threatened by the sixteen with being sewn up in a sack and thrown into the river if he did not alter his tone. Not peace, but a cessation of the investment of Paris, was brought about on the 23rd of August, 1590, by Duke Alexander of Parma, who, in accordance with express orders from Philip II, went from the Low Countries with his army to join Mayenne at Meaux and threaten Henry IV with their united forces, if he did not retire from the walls of the capital. Henry IV offered the two dukes battle, if they really wished to put a stop to the investment, but, quote, I am not come so far, answered the Duke of Parma, to take counsel of my enemy. If my manner of warfare does not please the King of Navarre, let him force me to change it, instead of giving me advice that nobody asks him for. Henry in vain attempted to make the Duke of Parma accept battle. The able Italian established himself in a strongly entrenched camp, surprised Lagny, and opened to Paris the navigation of the Marne, by which provisions were speedily brought up henry decided upon retreating he dispersed the different divisions of his army into touraine normandy picardy champagne burgundy and himself took up his quarters at senlis at compiegne in the towns on the banks of the oise the duke of mayenne arrived on the eighteenth of september at paris 
the duke of parma entered it himself with a few officers and left it on the thirteenth of november with his army on his way back to the low countries being a little harassed in his retreat by the royal cavalry but easy for the moment as to the fate of paris and the issue of the war which continued during the first six months of the year fifteen ninety one but languidly and disconnectedly with successes and reverses seesawing between the two parties and without any important results then began to appear the consequences of the victory of ivry and the progress made by henry the fourth in spite of the check he received before paris and at some other points in the kingdom not only did many moderate catholics make advances to him struck with his sympathetic ability and his valour and hoping that he would end by becoming a catholic but patriotic wrath was kindling in france against philip the second and the spaniards those fomenters of civil war in the mere interest of foreign ambition we quoted but lately the words used by the governor of dieppe aymar de chaste when he said to villars governor of rouen who pressed him to enter the league quote, you will yourself find out that the spaniard is the real head of this league end quote. on the fifth of august fifteen ninety during the investment of paris a placard was pasted all over the city quote, poor parisians it said i deplore your misery and i feel even greater pity towards you for being still such simpletons see you not that this son of perdition of a spanish ambassador bernard de mendoza who had our good king murdered is making game of you cramming you so with pap that he would fain have had you burst before now in order to lay hands on your goods and on france if he could he alone prevents peace and the repose of desolated france as well as the reconciliation of the king and the princes in real amity why are you so tardy to cast him in a sack downstream that he may return the sooner to spain on the sixth of august there was found written with charcoal on the gate of st anthony the following eight lines quote, some folks for holy league bear more than the prodigal son in the bible bore for he together with his swine on bean and root and husk would dine whilst they unable to procure such dainty morsels must endure between their skinny lips to pass awful and tripe of horse or ass Quote, these said a latin inscription on the awnings of the butchers shops are the rewards of those who expose their lives for philip haec sunt monera pro isqui vitam pro filippo proferent memoir de l'estoile pages seventy three seventy four in fifteen ninety one these public sentiments reproduced and dilated upon in numerous pamphlets imported dissension into the heart of the league itself which split up into two parties the spanish league and the french league the committee of sixteen laboured incessantly for the formation and triumph of the spanish league and its principal leaders wrote on the second of september fifteen ninety one a letter to philip the second offering him the crown of france and pledging their allegiance to him as his subjects Quote, we can positively assure your majesty they said that the wishes of all catholics are to see your catholic majesty holding the sceptre of this kingdom and reigning over us even as we do throw ourselves right willingly into your arms as into those of our father or at any rate establishing one of your posterity upon the throne these ringleaders of the spanish league had for their army the blindly fanatical and demagogic populace of paris and were further supported by four thousand spanish troops whom philip the second had succeeded in getting almost surreptitiously into paris they created a council of ten the sixteenth century's committee of public safety 
they proscribed the policists they on the fifteenth of november had the president brisson and two councillors of the leaguer parliament arrested hanged them to a beam and dragged the corpses to the place de grove where they strung them up to a gibbet with inscriptions setting forth that they were heretics traitors to the city and enemies of the catholic princes whilst the spanish league was thus reigning at paris the duke of mayenne was at Lyon, preparing to lead his army consisting partly of spaniards to the relief of rouen the siege of which henry the fourth was commencing being summoned to paris by messengers who succeeded one another every hour he arrived there on the twenty eighth of november fifteen ninety one with two thousand french troops he armed the guard of burgesses seized and hanged in a ground-floor room of the louvre four of the chief leaders of the sixteen suppressed their committee re-established the parliament in full authority and finally restored the security and preponderance of the french league whilst taking the reins once more into his own hands but the french league before long found itself in its turn placed in a situation quite as embarrassing if not so provocative of odium as that in which the spanish league had lately been for it had become itself the tool of personal and unlawful ambition the lorraine princes it is true were less foreign to france than the king of spain was they had even rendered her eminent service but they had no right to the crown mayenne had opposed to him the native and lawful heir to the throne already recognized and invested with the kingly power by a large portion of france and quite capable of disputing his kingship with the ablest competitors by himself and with his party alone mayenne was not in a position to maintain such a struggle in order to have any chance he must have recourse to the prince whose partisans he had just overthrown and chastised on the eleventh of november fifteen ninety one henry the fourth had laid siege to rouen with a strong force and was pushing the operations on vigorously in order to obtain the troops and money without which he could not relieve this important place the leader of the french league treated humbly with the patron of the spanish league Quote, in the conferences held at la fere and at lyon saint between the tenth and the eighteenth of january fifteen ninety two says m poirson the duke of parma acting for the king of spain and mayenne drew up conventions which only awaited the ratification of philip the second to be converted into a treaty mayenne was to receive four millions of crowns a year and a spanish army which together would enable him to oppose henry the fourth he had besides a promise of a large establishment for himself his relatives and the chiefs of his party in exchange he promised in his own name and that of the princes of his house and the great lords of the league that philip the second's daughter the infanta isabel clara eugenia should be recognized as sovereign and proprietress of the throne of france and that the states-general convoked for that purpose should proclaim her right and confer upon her the throne it is true adds m poiron that mayenne stipulated that the infanta should take a husband within the year at the suggestion of the councillors and great officers of the crown that the kingdom should be preserved in its entirety and that its laws and customs should be maintained it even appears certain that mayenne purposed not to keep any of these promises and to amend his infamy by a breach of faith but a conviction generally prevailed that he recognized the rights of the infanta and that he would labor to place her on the throne the lords of his own party believed it the legate reported it everywhere the royal party regarded it as certain during the whole course of the year fifteen ninety two this opinion gave the most disastrous assistance to the intrigues and ascendancy of philip the second and added immeasurably to the public dangers poisson 
Histoire du règne d'Henri IV, pages 304 to 306. Whilst these two leagues, one Spanish and the other French, were conspiring thus persistently, sometimes together, and sometimes one against the other, to promote personal ambition and interests, at the same time national instinct, respect for traditional rights, weariness of civil war, and the good sense which is born of long experience, were bringing France more and more over to the cause and name of Henry IV. In all the provinces, throughout all ranks of society, the population, non-enrolled amongst the factions, were turning their eyes towards him as the only means of putting an end to war at home and abroad, the only pledge of national unity, public prosperity, and even freedom of trade, a hazy idea as yet, but even now prevalent in the great ports of France and in Paris. Would Henry turn Catholic? that was the question asked everywhere amongst protestants with anxiety but with keen desire and not without hope amongst the mass of the population the rumour ran that on this point negotiations were half opened even in the midst of the league itself even at the court of spain even at rome where pope clement the eighth a more moderate man than his predecessor gregory the fourteenth had no desire says sully to foment the troubles of france and still less that the king of spain should possibly become its undisputed king rightly judging that this would be laying open to him the road to the monarchy of christendom and consequently reducing the roman pontiff to the position, if it were his good pleasure, of his mere chaplains. Economie royale, page 106. Such being the existing state of facts and minds, it was impossible that Henry the Fourth should not ask himself roundly the same question, and feel that he had no time to lose in answering it. End of section three.